Broadcasting from the heartland of America. In the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. Hey, happy weekend to you. Moving through another one, man. Now that we've officially kicked off November, I'm expecting snow. Where's the snow, man? Where is it? Not quite here yet. Welcome into it. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about this weekend. It's going to be a great one. So welcome into it. This is The Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship out of the Hoosier Media Network Studios. And always great to have you along for the ride. we got a lot to talk about today, man. It's going to be a fun one. Bottom, uh, or I'm sorry, next hour, no guests this hour, as uh, we have to play some duty catch-up, I guess. Hour number two, Chris Clem. We've had him on the program before. He is a former chief Border Patrol agent out of Texas and Arizona. He'll be joining us for the hour. We'll talk about some Border Patrol issues, crises at the border right now. The new Republican push to try and shut down the border, or at least try and uh, cave in some of the migration madness that we're seeing right now that the democrats are like oh no everything's fine that these aren't the joy joe looking for don't worry about it everything's all hunky-dory while we have ongoing conflicts around the world and terrorists that are trying to come across our border on a daily basis so we'll get to all that later on in hour number two this hour we have a few things to touch on but i have to start here and chad jump on for just a moment first off welcome chad producer down in dallas texas always uh, appreciate what you do down there do you remember the crazy lady that uh, was on the plane, Tiffany Gomez, the crazy plane lady from like a year ago, a couple years ago. I said again, I was getting my headset on. Okay. Did, did you remember the, do you remember the crazy plane lady, Tiffany Gomez? You know, he is totally not real. Like he's not human. Like the, the crazy freak out plane lady. Remember her? Yeah. I think I remember saying something about her. Yeah. Okay. So. If for those that don't know, she was uh, she was on the plane. I don't know what it was a couple of years ago, and the video went viral. Like a hundred millions of people saw this video of her freaking out on the plane, saying that someone that she was sitting beside was not human, that they were not real. And she went MIA, completely disappeared for the longest time. Well, she resurfaced. I don't know about six eight months ago again on the Tweety. And has come out and said that she had a mental breakdown, that she apologized to everybody, that all the memes are quite entertaining. Now, first off, some people are criticizing, saying that she does not look the same. I don't know. She still looks a little strange. Not quite sure. But now she's on social media making fun of the event after saying that she's starting this new nonprofit organization about mental health pushes and that she wants to try and help people to go through the same breakdowns as her and that she's cleaned up her life and everything's all great and hunky-dory. And she's started to try and go in the quote-unquote positive side of this, but yet she's still having fun trying to say, uh, trying to make it a gaffe and become, I guess, popular off of this event where for Halloween she was trying to have people post pictures of the best costume reenacting the episode on the airplane. Now, I'm just throwing this out there. If you had a mental breakdown, that's not probably something that you want to focus on or make your big thing to make you go viral online, whether it's the Tweety or Instagram, whatever else you do. Then she just went on a program, uh, a podcast this last week, also talking about the event. And, oh, no, I don't tell. I got to find my uh, audio clip again. Uh, But she went on another uh, podcast event and trying to explain what happened during it because they asked her straight up they said do you 
Uh, what did you actually see? What did you actually see at this event? This is what she said. So Daily Mail was like the first to like take it and run with it. And they're like, she saw a not real person. And I'm like, they are making me look bad. Yeah. And given I did, like I <laughs> did look absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, just was in my feels, needed to get off that. I was highly distressed. Um not a good look. It's not a good situation. Yeah, yeah. so was it it's not arm, a good look. So was it armrest? Guy smelled bad. I was thinking, no, I was actually seat. in the aisle seat, and I like gave up my aisle seat. So gave up. I was in the middle seat, and it was just there was just a really bad energy, and I don't want to get into like all the details of that. Just as you know, there's it's ongoing, and yeah, yeah. it's probably not the smartest to yeah. get into that. But um, yeah. There you go. So she was distressed. There were some bad vibes in the area. First, she said she had a mental breakdown. Now it was just bad vibes and that she just had a bad episode. Again, didn't tell us anything, but I don't know, man. It's starting to build up to be a little fishy here. She wants to move past it, but yet she's making fun of it online and making games out of it and going on podcasts talking about it while not really talking about anything. I think, I don't know, Chad, I think something's fishy here. Are we sure that this new nonprofit is not just a fundraiser to help herself? Well, it could be. So I forget what she does. She's some type of business real estate person or I don't remember what she does for a living, but that's an interesting take on it that she's trying to just fund herself. She's pretty much just destroyed her life. And now this is the way for her to fund herself lifestyle i guess i don't know well, that could maybe be. maybe the mental help's gonna mental mental help she needs is gonna cost way too much <laughs> <laughs> i still go with the theory that she saw an alien a shape shifter and that the government's trying to silence her and whether it's the real one or not that they either have replaced her with somebody else that'll look like or they have brainwashed her to not talk about it not remember exactly what it happened could be the alien and then to from roswell new mexico Ooh, see, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. All right, well, there it is. The ongoing things that just don't make sense. The things that make you go hmm going on in society. Which, speaking of, what else doesn't add up here in society right now? As we get into our latest in recapping what's going on in society for the last week. It's your week in review. Our week in review. We have to go to Washington D.C. because for the first time in a really long time, doesn't it just make you all warm and cozy with what we're hearing out of the House of Representatives? For the first time in a very long time, I'm hearing some really positive news come out of the House of Representatives, and that's saying something, man. Because for a while, even though we had majorities here and there, the Republicans really talk loud and do things. Actually, seeing action is kind of nice to see. As this past week, and as you know, as of Thursday last week, we talked about it on the program last weekend about the appropriations bill that was number five of 12. We've now passed three more appropriation bills this past week, making it up to eight out of 12. We're only looking for four more. Now, of course, the Senate says they're dead on arrival because the Democrats control that one. The president of the United States said he's going to veto them because he doesn't like the way the, the direction that we're going. But nonetheless, we're passing them. And as the power of the purse that be, is beholden within the House of Representatives, it's up to the House to pass these and in the Senate and the president can do whatever they want. And if they choose not to approve these, we can shut down the government and it will be their fault because they didn't go along with what the House representatives, the lower chamber, the chamber of the people, and the ones that hold the power of the purse have decided to do. That's on them, not on us. We've done our job. We pass it off to you. Here it is. Figure it out. Take it or leave it. And that's really the mentality that we have to have. And thankfully, we have some leadership in place to do that. Again, 
uh, Mike Johnson, new Speaker of the House, has been rocking this. And real quickly, I'm going to give you a rundown of the three appropriations bills. Then we'll break them down and see what this means moving forward. Number one, uh, this week on, I want to say Wednesday, I'm sorry, on Friday, this was on Friday, the appropriations bill of H.R. 4821, the Department for the Interior, Environment, and Related Agencies Appropriations Act. That's a mouthful. Uh, Now, this one, obviously, we could probably cut a lot out of because I'm not the biggest fan of even needing to spend on the Environmental Protection Agency or other related agency appropriations is what they call this one. But we do see some pretty dramatic spending cuts in this bill. According to the appropriations website from the House of Representatives and, by the way, Chairwoman Kay Granger, who was the one, if you don't remember, that actively tried to rally and whip the Republicans not to support Jim Jordan because she really didn't like what Jim Jordan was going to do by massively cutting budgets. But we see some relatively good spending cuts here. The total appropriations bill ended up being $25.4 billion, which is 35% below the fiscal year of 2023's enacted levels, meaning it's going to be 35% lower than what we were spending with this category of agencies compared to this year. It also spends 21 point, uh, I'm sorry, $21.3 billion below the president's budget proposal request. Now, for those that don't know anything about national or statewide politics, usually when the governor or the president requests a budget, the legislature takes a look at it, says thanks, they crumple it up, and they throw it in the request bin at the corner of the office. And that's what the Republicans are doing. And it's good to finally do that. Because since the Obama administration or beyond the Obama administration, back in, what, the early 2000s, we have yet to see any appropriations bills actually passed as a federal budget. As you know, it's been the omnibus packages, just pile everything together and then just pass it to see what's in it. This is the appropriations category by category, agency by agency. And we're doing some major cuts because we desperately need to see some major cuts. This one, 35 percent below current spending levels, totaling twenty five billion dollars. Could we do more? Sure, we could do more. We could always do more. But for now, man, I'll take that. Absolutely, we could see that because we haven't seen cuts in a very long time. And for us to see a 35% deduction in just these categories alone, winning. That's what I'm talking about. Now, at the same time, this also does some deregulation among some of the regulations from the EPA and the Biden administration, including just like that was passed in the bill last week was the Waters of the U.S. regulation. That was passed by the Environmental Protection Agency. It was enacted under the Obama administration, repealed under Trump, and then re-enacted under Biden again, which is a refresher again. If you don't know what the waters of the U.S. rule is, anybody that has any land, any agricultural uh, leaders, any farmers out there that listen to the program, if it rains really, really, really hard in your backyard and the government now comes in and says, well, this is now navigable waters, So therefore, it's our property. You have no rights to use that water. You have no rights on that piece of land anymore because now this is, quote unquote, navigable waters, which is a really stupid thing. But nonetheless, it does repeal that within this bill. Bill number two was the House Bill 4364, the Legislative Branch Appropriations Act, Uh, another one that passed with overwhelming majority, even getting Democrats to vote for these, by the way, 214 to 197 for this one, where it includes $5 billion in discretionary appropriations to fund the offices just for the House of Representatives. That is, by the way, a 5% deduction in current spending levels. Not much, but needed. And it's the step in the right direction. 
Now, number three is the interesting one that they passed, and this was passed on Thursday this week, of H.R. 6126, the Israel Security Supplemental Appropriation Act. And can we just say, again, let's... Winning. Yeah, thank you. Can we do that again? That This was a major victory for the Republicans because, and obviously it's been making a lot of news, but passing the bill for $14 billion in aid going to Israel, specifically towards the Iron Dome for national defense for the country, allowing them to continue to fend off the Hamas terrorist attacks going on in the nation, but it's essentially net neutral and it is completely offset. Why? Because we had Mike Johnson under the leadership of new actual conservatism. You wouldn't have seen this under the Kevin McCarthy act. If Kevin McCarthy were running this, you would have, well, well, we, we would have totally just tried to be happy across the board and we would have totally tried to combine Ukraine and Israel together and we would have passed it and we just would have cut maybe a billion dollars off of it. You wanted a hundred, we would have done 99 and it would have been great and it would have been a great compromise. I know it turned into a Donald Trump comment, but nonetheless, Kevin McCarthy would not have done any of this where this was number one, splitting off the Ukraine funding and the Israeli funding, doing $14.3 billion in emergency supplemental appropriations to the nation of Israel, fully offset by what? By borrowing it from the Department of the Internal Revenue Service and cutting the IRS. That would have cut out the 88,000 increase uh, IRS workers that the Biden administration so desperately wants to try and come after you. Oh, yes, they did it. Now the Senate says it's dead on arrival. Whatever, that's cool. Guess what? The House uh, House representatives did their part. And it's so amazing to watch these bills flying out of the house under conservative leadership. Lots more coming up. Stay right here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's America's political therapist. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is therifying the nation, one radio program at a time, one radio listener at a time. Always great to have you with us. So we have some major, I'm trying to do the math here with the amount of money we're saving already. Now, again, is that going to solve the problems of the nation? Of course it's not, but it is going to be a good step in the right direction. Now, here's the crazy part. Back in the day, before we started going to this omnibus package, we had the discretionary spending, mandatory spending. I know this is a lot of information during the weekend, but bear with me for a second because knowledge is power and power is the influence that we need to have right now. We have the discretionary spending, mandatory spending. The 12 appropriation bills that are supposed to be passed by the House of Representatives are 12 bills, 12 different appropriations bills. That covers the discretionary spending of the government. Decent amount, but still the vast majority or the minority. In fact, that's only roughly 40. It used to be at least 40 percent of the federal budget. The other 60 percent were the social programs under the mandatory spending. They grew three, four, five, six percent every single year. You're not allowed to touch them. And if you do try to touch them, then you're probably the most horrible, evil human being in the world wanting to let people die in the streets. Even if you're saying that maybe we should only let it grow two percent instead of six percent this year. Then the Democrats were like, oh, well, you want a 4% cut, and that's going to kill everybody in the country. Yeah, that's that's not true, but that's what they would tell us, and that's the mindset that they've gone under. The proportion of mandatory spending and discretionary spending has changed quite dramatically over the past few years because now the appropriations process really only covers 25 to 30% 
of all of our federal budget. The rest is the mandatory spending. So all of these cuts are nice. We're seeing 35% cut here, 40% cut over here, 5% cut over here. That's great. It's not going to solve the major issue that's bankrupting the nation. So we still have to address that. But you know what? We'll take it as it comes. This is a great starting point for us. Now, here's the next big challenge, especially with that third bill that they passed this week for the Israeli funding. And as you know, with trying to, excuse me, offset it with uh, the IRS and moving the money from the IRS to the nation of Israel for them. And it does do some stuff here on the home front as well as providing uh, $200 million for the protection of U.S. personnel, evacuations of U.S. citizens out of Israel. It enhances embassy security and it creates emergency evacuations for American citizens with near $50 million there to help U.S. citizens that are over in that region as well. This is a good bill, but Democrats losing their mind. Not only Democrats, though, but this is where we're starting to see the civil war within the Republican Party. And it shows the vast difference between generational politics or, uh, I guess, deep state versus non-deep state leadership within the Republican Party. Because, as you know, we kind of had to go deep into the ranks to find Mike Johnson to become Speaker of the House. And it's good and it's refreshing. And it's amazing to see someone who hasn't been there for the last 40 years trying to just walk up and be like, well, I've been here. I know the process and I'm just going to go with the same old, same old and just continue down the same road here. We're doing something different. And you're starting to see that difference between the leadership in the House and the leadership in the Senate. Because, as you know, the man himself, Mitch McConnell, that guy, uh, he's been advocating for the Biden plan, essentially, of the $100 billion for Ukraine and Israel, where the $14 billion would go towards Israel. The rest of it would go towards the Ukraine and everything else. And Mitch McConnell's angry at the Republican Party. The leader of the Republican Party in the U.S. Senate is angry with the leadership in the House for trying to split the two from being in the same bill and trying to offset the funding through the IRS. Not the Democrats, the Republicans, which just shows the difference in where we're at right now. So maybe a leadership change in the House or in the U.S. Senate? Probably. We need some. Is it going to happen anytime soon? Probably not, but an election is coming up next year. Hint, hint, wink, wink, in November of 2024. This is where we're starting to see the landscape change. This is where we're starting to see the new identity of the Republican Party rise, rising from the ashes, being that new phoenix and that we desperately need because right now we've kind of burned ourselves down to a pulp from the old leadership that's been destroying us from within. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Truth, reason, and common sense. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We, we share an enduring core principles, and I referenced this on the floor Wednesday night before, last week before I uh, took my oath of office. What we stand for are the core principles of America. I call them the seven core principles of American conservatism. But as I said uh, from the chamber there up in the rostrum, that it's really 
America's principles. Um, it's individual freedom and limited government and the rule of law, peace through strength, and fiscal responsibility, free markets and human dignity. These are the, the ideas that have guided our nation since its founding. And I believe that when we anchor ourselves to those again, we do right by the country. We are the greatest nation in the history of the world. And we are proud to say that and proud to defend it and uh, preserve those principles. Holy cow, that sounds good, doesn't it? That's Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, on his Tweety as he's talking about some of the bills that they've been ramming through, talking about with Israel, along with these appropriations bills, and all the difference in leadership we're hearing between Mike Johnson and then Mitch McConnell on the Senate side that wants to go with the flow. The standard, the establishment, just go with the flow. Don't rock the boat. We don't want to knock anything. Biden's asking for $100 billion. Just go ahead and give it to him. Why in the world did you separate the two between Israel and Pal- or between Israel and Ukraine? Why would you do that such a thing? Why would you actually do things individually? <laughs> yeah. It's what we're hearing. There's a definite leadership difference right now within the Republican Party, and it's going to be good to see when we see this new fresh blood coming in, recognizing the problems. Maybe we can actually pass the bill. There's two bills that need to be passed right now outside of the appropriations. Number one is to be able to do the individualized topics to where you just don't cram everything into one bill and say either pass it or else you want little puppy dogs to die in the street or... We can actually separate them and do them individually, like we're starting to see out of the House of Representatives. Number two, and this is from U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. We may have him on the program next week, actually, because he's been still pushing his bill for the uh, uh, Government Shutdown Prevention Act. Not allowing the Democrats to use government shutdowns is a way to bully us into getting their way, which especially if we're passing all these appropriation bills, it's going to be really important for us to actually pass something like that because they're essentially many of them are going to be quote i say this in air quotes here dead on arrival in the u.s senate because the democrats don't want to see so many cuts in the programs they're nice little pet projects that they've had for so many years and number two the veto that the biden administration has threatened now will he actually do it i don't know because he says one thing and then does something different so you can't really judge what he's actually going to do but it is going to be interesting to see if he really tries to uh, balk at it. And if they do shut down the government, then whose fault is it going to be? Well, the ones that actually didn't pass anything. The Senate, by the way, has passed three different uh, bills, the appropriations bills on their side, but they're going to be fully, I say fully funded to their levels. They're increasing spending as much as they possibly can and capping out the new $2 trillion debt ceiling that we expanded back on June 1st. Again, thanks to the leadership of Kevin McCarthy and non-conservative leadership. Uh, with that being said, I want to shift gears a little bit because there's, I mean, that's those are the bills they passed. They're sitting in the Senate. The Senate doesn't want to do anything with them. That's up to them. We have four appropriation bills left. We are eight of 12, baby, and still just a couple weeks away from this potential government shutdown that we see at the end of the continuing resolution. With that being said, though, we're going to see some major battles. And uh, right now, I am more concerned than ever before about what we like to call the quote-unquote communist revolution here in the nation. I know. Yeah. What do I mean by that? Let's get into our What's Trending. It's your Week in Review. So after, what, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it was, the UAW, and you know how much I enjoy talking about unions on this program, the United Auto Workers strike is officially over after the major approval from their workers by an 82% threshold of more than 900 local machinists uh, or uh, uh, workers out of Michigan voting with an 82% favor 
for the new four-year, eight-month deal. We're like, oh, I take that back. More than 3,000 workers voted in favor of it, and more than 683 voted against the contract. Why they would vote against it, I don't know, because this takes the labor union to an entirely new level. Now, I want to preface this by letting you know that throughout the years, labor unions in general, private and public labor unions, the union industry has been on the decline. They've seen less and less people actually signing up for the unions. Much of that hat tip to the National Right to Work Committee, which we have Mark Mix on the program quite often, that there's been now laws enacted to where people can choose whether they're actually going to join a union when they sign up and work for a company. That didn't used to be. Before, if you worked for a company, if you signed up to a company, it was mandatory that you join the union. I've told the story. When I was in college, I was trying to find a job in the state of Ohio. I applied at UPS, and I figured during my evening hours, overnights or whatever, during college, well, that didn't turn out because I was partying during the night, and then I could work during the day and just not even go into my classes. Ha! I loved my college education. But I applied to work at UPS. And while I was there, I went through the entire process. They gave me the tour. I was going to be the one in the in the distribution center, like putting things in the right place to get on the right truck to do the right thing and whatever. And it was a great interview. It was just a job. They said at the very end of it that you have to join the union in order for you to work here. You must be a mandated labor union worker. And I said, no, you can just end this interview right now. I'm, I'm out. Deuces. I'm gone because I'm not going to do it. I, I'm just not going to. Thankfully, to the National Right to Work Committee, They've been working on laws across the nation to make it optional if you want to. And now more people are starting to opt out of joining the unions than wanting to actually opt in and pay their hard-earned money into a due that doesn't really do anything for you, that ends up being a political contribution to a Democrat that usually goes against your own values as an actual labor worker. That being said, the labor union saw this as an opportunity to boost a major... um, uh, um, people signing up major membership boosts because they saw this as the opportunity to stand the ground and really make an impact. And even the president of the UAW during this entire six week strike made the comment that what they were asking for was completely irrational. He admitted it openly publicly said that what they were advocating for was irrational by advocating for a 30% raise in pay by getting a 20% bump in some of their 401k contributions from the company, by getting automatic pay increases um, that, uh, that would automatically, every time inflation would go up, they would get an automatic bump in pay to counter the inflation. To level the playing field for the tenured workers compared to the green workers that were coming in to try and give them a bump in pay as well. What they were asking for, oh, and by the way, all of that, And then also cutting their mandatory work hours from a 40-hour week to a 32-hour week in four days and only having to work four days while they were asking for this major bump in pay that equated to almost $90,000 a year just for an average worker that was on the line at a production factory. Now, this is not knocking that industry. This is not knocking the worker at all because you work your you-know-what's off and you do a hell of a job doing it because I want to make sure my car is safe when I'm driving it down the road. That being said, the value that you bring to the table is based on your individual experience and is based on the value that you produce for the company with that product. And what they did with this UAW strike has taken things to an entirely new level. And their goal is to create what I'm calling now the communist revolution in this nation. What they're trying to do to synchronize other labor unions that we'll get to in a second and what they're looking forward to. 
already from what they passed in this negotiated contract to what's going to come up just four years from now. This is what they said after they agreed to this earlier this week. Our goal is to come back to the table in 2028, a much stronger union, a much louder union, and a much larger union. So to auto workers everywhere, get ready to stand up. We're building a fighting union that can set a new standard. We know we have to secure our jobs in an electric vehicle future. We have to make sure that green jobs will be good jobs. And we have to stop the forces of corporate greed from making the EV transition a race to the bottom. (laughs) Those evil corporations go after the corporations. Doesn't he almost sound militant? We're going to come back as a stronger. You already did. You're already a strong union. What the hell are you talking about? So for those that don't know, by the way, according to the Associated Press, what they got in these final contracts, the deal with all three auto industry companies were generally the same. That included a 25% general pay increase with 11% of that right up front upon ratification. The other uh, the other of the 25% would be incremental over the next four years. Along with a cost of living pay increase, meaning every time inflation goes up, they also get a cost of living increase as well, on top of the already 25% general pay increase, exceeding more than 30% by the time the contract ends in April of 2028. Workers hired after 2009 without those defined benefits as well will also get a 10% annual company contribution to their 401k plans, and they'll get a $5,000 ratification bonus. Now, just to put this into perspective for you, the average worker that's going to be at the factory plant now, the average salary will go from $31.77 an hour to $42.24 an hour by the end of the contract with the 25% increase. Now, they said that's just the beginning because they're ready to do and strike even harder by the end of the contract in 2028. Not only that, but now they're looking at unifying other labor unions and other industries to sync up their contracts to end at the same time as theirs so everybody can strike at the exact same time and cause essentially a massive, radical, collective bargaining communist strike and communist revolution at the same time. Our hope is that other unions will join us in aligning their contract expiration dates with our own so that we might join together to raise up common demands and strike together. The auto industry, the auto companies, especially, uh, I believe, was it Ford that said this, that said because of these negotiated agreements that they came to with this one, that the average price per vehicle that will be sold on the lot will go up nearly $1,000 on the already insanely expensive vehicles that we're seeing because of the microchip shortages, because of the delay in production already, that the average price for the vehicle will go up $1,000. So I hope you're happy, everybody out there that supports labor unions and collective bargaining. You essentially just screwed yourself because you think the company is evil. the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Where Hoosierholics gather every week. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome in, Hoosierholics. What's up? By the way, 
If you have not done so yet to become a Hoosier Holic, go to the website HoosierReason.com. That's H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. Become a Hoosier Holic by signing up for the newsletter. It'll pop up as soon as you go to the website. Say, do you want to become a Hoosier Holic? You're like, uh, duh, yeah. Put your email in there completely free. We don't spam you and send you a whole bunch of stuff. We literally send you a once a month. We'll send you a welcome email and then a once a month email, which will come out, by the way, on Monday. We always do it towards the, the first Monday of the month is our goal to do that each and every month. So if you've not done so yet, go to HoosierReason.com, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. Put in your email and you can get that. We'll have our monthly blog on there, information about the show, information about the Hoosier Media Network, which, by the way, there's some really cool stuff going on there. And we'll have some more information on that a little bit later. So to wrap up this conversation, I want to put the, as you could hear, and by the way, this UAW president, they're already preparing for the contract in 2028, which, by the way, they have created their own demise. Our goal is to come back to the table in 2028, a much stronger union, a much louder union, and a much larger union. So to auto workers everywhere, get ready to stand up. We're building a fighting union that can set a new standard. We know we have to secure our jobs in an electric vehicle future. We have to make sure that green jobs will be good jobs. And we have to stop the forces of corporate greed from making the EV transition a race to the bottom. It's wild. Again, this is the Communist Manifesto play out right before our eyes here because these idiots, and yes, I will call them that because that's exactly what they are, have no clue what they're doing right now. He openly said that they're concerned about the electric vehicle movement, the electric vehicle future. And I feel like a repeating record here. But let's remind you again, the labor unions, 80 to 90 percent of their political campaign funds go to Democrats, which, by the way, are promoting the movement to the smart cars, the electric vehicles, the getting rid of gasoline vehicles, so on and so forth. So they're funding the transition to the EV movement. And he's sitting there trying to blame the evil corporation for doing it on their own. The Democrat, all you got to do is turn on the news, whatever news you want to fill in the news blank.com of whatever you follow on your news source and watch the news where the Democrats are pushing it. And if you don't agree with it, then you hate the environment. You're raping the earth of its resources, all this other garbage. The Democrats are pushing for it. They're forcing it. The Biden administration's executive order themselves is mandating 80% to 90% of all electric vehicle or all vehicles produced by the year 2030 be electric vehicles. It's their mandates. And oh, by the way, the industry has already said that it only takes roughly 30% of the current auto workforce to build an electric vehicle. Why? Because you don't have to build axles. You don't have to build motors. You don't have to build oil filters. It's not just the ones that are on the assembly line putting the vehicle together. It's all of the side industry as as well that actually builds the small parts, that builds the tire, that builds the uh, alternator, that builds in the the fill-in-the-blank piece of the vehicle that I don't really know because I'm not an auto mechanic. It's all of the parts that we will no longer need to build that are going away. But the selfish, narcissistic, nutso labor union that is the UAW, the United Auto Workers, are blaming the evil corporation, the company, for not properly taking care of the workers, almost in a militant style, saying, this is great, this is nice, I guess, making almost $42 an hour now uh, with a 10% bump in what they are already getting from the company's contributions, yada, yada, yada. It's going to jack up the price for every vehicle out there if you're trying to buy a new car. That's nice, 
but we're ready for 2028 because we're going to protect our jobs. You're allowing the change in the industry to take your jobs away. You're funding the politician that's forcing that change into the industry itself. And you're sitting there complaining about these evil corporations. This is the communist manifesto right in front of our eyes. And if we do start seeing the uh, um, sinking up almost of all the labor unions across the country, we're going to see this communist quote unquote revolution in the country. And it's going to be a scary thing to watch outside of the outside forces and the inflation from the Biden economy and all the other struggles that we have. We now have this labor force where they're desperate to boost up their membership numbers by doing something absolutely drastic, shutting down in an industry, not caring about anybody except for themselves. Oh yeah. By the way, they're also getting back pay in this negotiation. They're getting back pay for the workers for the last six weeks that have not been working because they felt like out there sitting on their behinds and walking in a circle outside of the factory because they didn't want to work. They're getting back pay to cover that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that, too. Welcome to Narcissism of 2023. What a world we live in. Got to take a break. Hour number one all wrapped up. Hour number two right around the corner. We'll go to the southern border. We'll go south of the border, talk about immigration crises with Chris Clem, former chief Border Patrol agent. We've had him on the program before. We'll have some fun with him right back here on The Voice Reason. Lots more to get to. Stay here.